0: okay thank you guys for coming back to listen to another episode i am here with lauren hi lauren hi it's so good to be here yeah i'm so excited um to have this conversation so can you describe yourself a little bit what do you do for work what do you do for fun
1: Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of work, I guess I'll start there since that's sort of what brings me to your show. Uh, I am a marriage and family therapist, which I, I just, I'm a psychotherapist in Southern California. And I work primarily with people with OCD and anxiety disorders and with and. Oc spectrum disorders, including body dysmorphic disorder, and uh, with eating disorders as well. So that's my focus work-wise. And as for fun, I like to get outdoors. Especially, you know, uh, it's nice as as the you know vaccinations are happening more and and restrictions are lifting that we can actually spend a little bit more time outside and with other people. So um, I love national parks. And I live near the ocean. I just I, I really love nature. So yeah, that's me, I think, in a nutshell.
0: Yeah, great. You're in the perfect place for get outside.
1: Yeah, great weather
0: down in <laughs> Southern California. <laughs> it's true. So I have a lot of questions about eating disorders. And the first is what are the biggest myths about people with eating disorders? What they look like, where they mm-hmm. come from?
1: Yeah, I think that there's this idea that people with eating disorders have a specific look, and the reality is that a lot of people with eating disorders look, quote-unquote, normal, right, Mm -hmm. that you would never know by looking at them. So there's, of course, restriction and and under-eating, which tends to be associated with anorexia nervosa, and... That's on a spectrum too, because there are people with sort of atypical anorexia who don't meet the the weight criteria. So generally speaking, uh, in order to be diagnosed with anorexia, you are under what is called a healthy weight according to the BMI or body mass index. Um, So yeah, so there's that side of things, but again, there's this atypical variant where people are in this, quote unquote, healthy weight range. And and so you wouldn't actually know that there was anything going on by looking at them necessarily. And then then there's bulimia, nervosa, which is characterized by binging and purging. Episodes of binging and purging can look like uh, binging and self-induced vomiting or the use of laxatives. Uh, People sometimes will use exercise in a compensatory way. So there's that side of things. And then binge eating disorder, which also can look like people being sort of outside of that, again, a big quotation marks, healthy range, um, because everybody's body's different. And so we have these sort of averages that are supposed to take into account what it is to be healthy and really sort of limited because weight is one factor and health is such a larger construct. Uh, and certainly people can be, like I've, I've been saying in this, this weight range we call healthy and not be healthy at all, be malnourished or uh, lacking in, in vitamins and and be suffering greatly just on an emotional and mental level as well. I think not. this is kind of going off track from what your question was, but I think it's important to note that we, don't think of mental health and emotional health as part of health. And yet, of course they are. They're inter- integral to our well-being. Uh, so anyway, all of that to say, there's no body type. Right? It's everything from the hyper-emaciated people that you might see in a documentary like Thin, which I probably is close to 15, 20 years old now. It's an HBO documentary, um, you know, where people have feeding tubes and on that extreme. And then, you know, there are people who um who live in much larger bodies. So just varies pretty drastically. And there are a lot, I, I think I was I was thinking about this actually this morning before we met. I was curious to know what myths you you sort of think of when you when you think of of Body, uh, body image issues, and and eating disorders. Because obviously, I'm sort of entrenched in this world. Yeah. I don't have a ton of of objectivity, and I'd be curious to know. I'm, you are, I guess, to some degree too. Like you are aware of it and and invested in it. But um, getting another vantage point too, I'd be curious.
0: Yeah, as I was doing a little bit of research for this episode. I had no idea that binge eating disorder existed or that it was the most common eating disorder, Um, because when we learned about it, I don't know, for 20 minutes in health class when I was a kid, it was all anorexia and bulimia. And so I always thought of when I thought of a person with an eating disorder, I thought of a very thin person, probably Mm. a woman, probably a white woman. Mm. And so I was like, oh, most people with eating disorders are not, you know, impossibly, unrealistically thin.
1: No. And that's, I'm, I'm, it's cool to hear y- your take on it. And actually uh, women of color are affected at uh, approximately the same proportion as, mm-hmm. as women, white women. So that's a, an unfortunate misconception and, un- and more unfortunate is studies have shown that women of color are less likely to receive treatment. So, um, Obviously that's a big issue that that I'm hoping the industry as a whole looks at and tackles.
0: Yeah, me too, but it's yeah. it's good to know that um there are more kinds than just the two that everybody knows and that it doesn't have a certain look and just because you're not super thin it doesn't mean you don't have an eating disorder and you might Absolutely. probably need to get treatment for it.
1: Yeah, well and I think what's interesting is the with bulimia in particular, purging is a pretty ineffective way of managing weight. So you're not to get too into the nitty gritty, but you're absorbing some of the the caloric intake. And so oftentimes individuals with bulimia nervosa are in that that typical weight range. Um, So you see that there is I will say a binge purge subtype of anorexia where somebody Ooh. is in that underweight category, but but still will engage in either objective or subjective binges, right? Objective binge being like a an objectively imo- large amount of food based on, on norms and a subjective binge being a, a perceived experience of being out of control and eating a lot of food for an individual in a short period of time, so. Mm-hmm. Anyway.
0: So what are the common causes or triggers of eating disorders?
1: So I think most, well, I won't say most, but most of the disorders I treat are very similar in this, that they are they are genetic, they are psychological, they are social, right? They, we call it the biopsychosocial model. And mm-hmm. so... Uh, everything contributes is the answer. It's not a very satisfying answer. It'd be great if we had like a, this is the answer. And, but I I love uh, the, the analogy that I think best demonstrates is that biology loads the gun and uh, our environment pulls the trigger. So, nobody, like you might have a really strong biological predisposition, but then you're in an environment that really doesn't support that and it never comes to fruition. And you might have a really low biological predisposition and then be in an environment that's really, um, really promotes certain attitudes and and beliefs about body and and about the importance of body and, and weight and shape and end up developing an eating disorder. So I, I think it's, it's a, there's a lot of interacting factors. And what was I going to say?
0: What was your question again? Uh, the common causes and triggers. Right,
1: right, right. So getting into, yeah. So I, I think one of the things that is really important to keep in mind is the, the element of media, so that's what I was going to get to. Is that one of those social aspects that that is really impactful? Is the the presence of all of these images of people who are essentially working full time to look a certain way? They've got you know, personalized chefs, and they've got uh, personalized trainers and more personal trainers and. Um, they are airbrushed and photoshopped. And so, and I know you had mentioned being curious about the impact of social media in this respect as well. It's crazy because more and more of these apps that allow for individuals to airbrush and to change the way that their bodies look on social media, it's nuts, right? So it is. Yeah. yeah, but there is this huge premium placed on weight and shape in our culture And especially among women, though not exclusively. And I think that there's certainly one of going back to this question of myths that you asked earlier. I think that the, there's a huge myth that this only impacts women Mm -hmm. and I think the the number is 0.8% of men who uh, are, who suffer with binge eating disorder and, They haven't done as much research into men with uh, anorexia. It's interesting too, is that up until the DSM-IV, which was the last diagnostic and statistical manual, which is like the psychology Bible, Mm -hmm. uh, up until then, one of the criteria for having anorexia was that you have what's called amenorrhea, which is that you have three uh, uh, Three sequentially missed periods. So actually, men couldn't be obviously right. diagnosed um, with anorexia until very recently. So uh yeah, so there but go going back to the the different factors. I think obviously the larger larger context of media, but also the environment that you're growing up in, the, the messages that you get from family members. There is a genetic component. So about I think 44% of the variance in eating disorders is, is thought to be genetic. Uh, yeah, so there's, <laughs> there's a <laughs> lot of things that right. contribute to developing an eating disorder. But I, I do think that more and more People, it's very difficult to have a healthy, un what's the word that I'm looking for, untainted by the the media and by the diet industry. That it's, I think most people get so many messages about food and and body that it's very difficult to have a a good relationship with food these
0: days. Yeah, it's very difficult. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so on my Instagram story, a couple of weeks ago, I asked if any of my followers had dealt with body dysmorphia, and a lot of people said no. And I Mm. wondered, maybe I shouldn't have said body dysmorphia, maybe I should have said like body image issues, Mm. because I'm just not sure that people know what body dysmorphia is. So can you give um, like a definition for what that is?
1: Yeah, so well, and I I think You bring up a good point as we're talking about this that body image and uh, issues and body dysmorphia are on a spectrum. And most people don't know what body dysmorphia is. And when they do, they often conflate it with an eating disorder, which they are not actually the same thing, although they can happen concurrently. And in order to be diagnosed with an eating disorder, you have to place this premium on on your appearance and uh, in terms of how it it contributes to your self-evaluation and also perceive that there is a problem, like that there's a major problem. So those are sort of the two components when we look at body dysmorphia is that there is this perception of a defect, a flaw, and that generally that's not present or that it's, Far less significant than the individual is making it. And, and then in addition to that, the person performs some sort of behavior. Now, because it's part of that obsessive compulsive spectrum, we often call those behaviors compulsions. And with regard to compulsions for body dysmorphia, we see things like camouflaging. So wearing clothing to, to hide the perceived, perceived defect, uh, a lot of avoidance, right? Avoidance of social settings of of light. So want not wanting to be in bright lights. Um, we see comparison, which happens a lot in the world of eating disorders as well. And so does camouflaging, frankly, uh, and body checking. So a lot of checking in mirrors or conversely, you might find somebody uh, practicing mirror avoidance entirely trying to make sure that they don't see what they look like, especially, like I said, that, that, that perceived flaw. And so oftentimes weight can be the, the focus of body dysmorphia, but more often than not we equate it with some sort of uh, like somebody having obsessive thoughts about their nose or their hair or their um elbows i like i've heard all sorts of things over the the course of of my career so Does that give you a a good sense of of body? I I know you know what it is, but (laughs) is that good? Does that work?
0: Yeah, I think that that's a great um, definition for us to work off of in this conversation. I had no idea, I guess, because for me, my body image issues are all related to my weight. I didn't even think about it being, you know, something on your face or I, I don't know, other other parts of your body that would seem like a small thing to someone else.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it can hit on a lot of different things. And, you know, like I mentioned hair, we see hair loss as one with men. Yeah, Uh, And of course, like I said, it can be, there can be some reality to it, but I, I think, and this is true with eating disorders as well. The issue isn't necessarily with, the objective reality. Because A, there is no re- objective reality. And B, there it, it doesn't matter, right? Like the the fact that you may be living in a larger or smaller body, it it's yeah, perhaps that's true. But what's more important is why does it matter so much? <laughs> like why <laughs> is it so important? And that over evaluation of weight and shape are really central uh, to the diagnosis of an eating disorder. That said, I would argue that we as a society place a lot of value on weight and shape far more than they probably deserve. So it's sort of, it's hard to say too, where, where that becomes a quote unquote disorder.
0: hmm Okay, so I'm really curious, because when you were talking about eating disorders, you were saying that there's a genetic component. Mm -hmm. And I do want to talk about that more later. But should we be taking I know that there are other mental health um, conditions that can sort of be passed down. Mm -hmm. If you have a history of it in your family, should we be taking these as seriously as we take a history of cancer or heart disease in your family?
1: Well, you're speaking to a biased source. So <laughs> I, I, I think so. Me I, too. I think we live with our minds all of the time. It's the only constant companion we have in this life. And so putting all of this emphasis on physical health, which of course is important, but leaving out this piece, this is the, like the sort of constant chatter that's going on in here. It's such a, it's such a huge miss from my perspective and having suffered from, from mental health challenges myself, I can say that if you don't have your mental health sorted out, nothing else matters. So, and that's my, again, biased perspective. Uh, So yeah, I do think that we should be taking them much more seriously. And the, the difficulty too, of course, is that you, unless you have twin studies of twins separated at birth or or, uh, family members who are not raised together, it's it's tough to separate what is environmental and what is physiological based on genetics. And so there is uh, certainly a piece of, like I was saying earlier, that if you have a genetic propensity toward these things that you may or may not pass on to your children, that you have an opportunity to raise them in an environment that prioritizes different things and potentially uh, save them from, from the experience. Not that, you know, you can be 100% sure about such things. And there's so many influences in a a child's life, but.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think of today so many, I think of girls, but it is also boys um, who are growing up with social media Mm -hmm. and seeing a lot of altered photos and surgically altered bodies, and how that's affecting the way they view their own bodies that aren't even done developing yet. Oh, and I feel so bad for them. Yeah. yeah. Um. So plastic surgery has gone way up over the past <laughs> <laughs> probably decade. Um. Do you think that the prevalence of plastic surgery is dangerous?
1: I think it's certainly what we think bodies are supposed to look like. I'm very taken by, and I don't know how old you are, what generation. Oh, you're 25. So you're a little bit younger than me, but I think of friends was really popular when I was Mm -hmm. growing up. And I, I look at Jennifer Aniston, and this is not to be disparaging toward individuals. And frankly, I don't know for sure what people have had done or not had done, but I look at, at, women like Jennifer Aniston are in that age range. And I'm like, they don't look any different. <laughs> like, right. How is this happening? They're 15 years older and they look exactly the same and talk about challenging because as you, one grows older or, um, you know, and all of the the sort of natural progression they're in that there's this expectation that you should continue to look a certain way. And then of course, there's more of the, the, as you were talking about the, the ability to change shape with apps and, and with, with all that good stuff. And yeah, I think that it between that and plastic surgery, there's just such a, it's, it's a crazy, I don't know, like the, the difference between reality and that is huge. And so if you're comparing yourself to this ideal that doesn't actually exist naturally and you're thinking that there's something wrong with your shape because you don't match that look. At, yeah, I, I do think that it's it's a big problem. And not that, you know, everyone has their own path. And I certainly, like I said, I don't mean to be disparaging of people who make that choice. But I I do think that being forthright about that is very helpful for people mm-hmm. because then they're not that I think it's really important to be a conscious consumer of the media that you take in. And first of all, that sort of necessitates a certain age too right like mm-hmm. little ones are not going to be able to comprehend necessarily what an adult can but being a conscious consumer would be I, I guess I I think it's important to probably assume plastic surgery unless otherwise told in that realm because otherwise you really are setting yourself up to feel vastly inadequate
0: yeah I think that's such a good point that yeah critical thinking is important Mm -hmm. 12 year olds are probably not great at critical thinking and the kardashian jenner family (laughs) (laughs) has been (laughs) you saw my face i know um has been criticized a lot for lying it's they got surgery all of them except for probably (laughs) kendall who's very thin because she's a model But all of them are surgically altered and they continue to deny it and say, no, I just went to the gym. And so there are (laughs) women killing themselves in the gym trying to look like that. And it's impossible. And I feel conflicted about it because on one hand, do people owe us uh, information about personal decisions they made with their bodies? Do celebrities have to be open and honest about plastic surgery? I think if you're influencing that many people, millions of people, yeah, you you should be honest. Um, And I think that magazines and influencers on Instagram or wherever should be honest, too, about when they Photoshop and Facetune. But I'm curious about your thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because... You have to disclose when you're getting sponsored by somebody, right? In order to, and that's for the safety of individuals, so that they know that it's basically an advertisement uh, on social media, on Instagram, and and yet we we don't have obviously similar laws out there regarding transparency about such things. And I'm with you. I, I don't I don't know. First of all, I don't know that it should be a, a legal issue, like I was just yeah. talking about with the sponsorship, and I, I don't know that it will be. I don't know that anyone will ever. We can't enforce. Being clear, I think from an ethical vantage point, that yes, it it would be best if people were forthright about about what they'd have they've had done. But you know, to your point, their choice, their bodies, and. It's, it's a tough one. It really is. But I, do I think it could be very, very helpful for, for people to know? Yes, I do. Because all of a sudden, then it's not your body is inadequ- inadequate. It's, oh, I don't have as much money as that person. And I'm not getting those <laughs> procedures done. And that, that's not going to be taken as such a personal failing
0: yeah i think that would be great and it might manage you know men's expectations I- oh
1: yeah that's so interesting <laughs> sorry i interrupted you please no don't.
0: no no, you're fine i vividly remember dating this guy years ago who said his like ideal body types were Nicki minaj and chloe <laughs> kardashian and i was like okay <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> right? Nobody looks like that. They don't Except even for, look like yeah, that. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know. Not even. Oh gosh, I heard heard this from a client actually that that there's been a scandal with Khloe Kardashian. I'm so I I just I don't watch a lot of television. I can't mm-hmm. deal with the all of it. But uh, you've heard about it. It looks like based I've on your heard reaction. about
0: it. I don't follow any of them. I'm. Yeah kind of against their family. (laughs) (laughs) I get you. I get you. Um,
1: I think, so what, what happened is my understanding of what happened is that, uh, there was a picture posted of Khloe Kardashian in a swimsuit that was not, uh, approved by the powers that be where she looked quote unquote normal. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and I guess they, they wanted to redact it immediately because it, didn't look the way that they wanted it to mm. just points to the fact that those pictures, not only are they airbrushed and potentially, I don't, you know, like I said, don't know for sure with any individual, but potentially airbrushed and then you've got plastic surgery and all of that, that in addition to that, they're, they're carefully curated. And I love the Instagram accounts that point out, how you can sort of move your body in a certain way to Mm. make it look right. It's amazing just how positioning makes a difference. So yeah. Anyway, I don't know what got me off on that (laughs) tangent, but, Oh, I know what did, what you, what you were saying with the guy that you were dating. That's yeah. I I think it's so true. And I I think I remember don't know when this was or how I got this idea in my head, but I think there was discussion sort of uh, on a social level, on a societal level, I should say, uh, about uh, how Victoria's Secret models were impacting young men's way of, of our expectations around what their partners should look like and, mm-hmm. and how, yeah. So yes, I agree both expect, and I think that this goes for both uh, on, on both ends of the spectrum, right? That women who are, uh, you know, dating other women or men, right. That, that obviously the cultural ideals are, are going to both impact them and their, their opinion of their partners. And same with men dating women or men
0: uh, you know it's sort of across the board definitely okay so i'm curious we're going so far in one direction where people girls who are like 18 are like i want to get a boob job i want to get a brazilian butt lift i want a tummy tuck and it feels like plastic surgery is becoming so normalized which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But I think the idea that you need it to be attractive is dangerous. And is there a way to change the direction that we're headed in right now? Can we keep social media without it being a place um, that makes you more likely to be depressed or dissatisfied with your body?
1: Mm. a Great question. I don't know that there's anything to be done about the sort of proliferation of plastic plastic surgery. I wish there was, I, I, in, in some respects, like I said, I have, I have no moral qualms with anyone doing what's right for them. And at the same token uh, there is this more and more outrageous idea of what people should look like uh, That's that's very unfortunate and that does lead people to take actions that are harmful to themselves, like restricting, like binging and purging and like binging because all of the disorders come from this uh, restrict or this restrict strict idea of what you should and shouldn't eat. Right. And that some people are quote unquote more or less successful when it, when it comes to following through on, on the, the dieting that leads to, a certain body type. So but you were you were asking about whether or not there's anything that we can do to sort of change the trajectory of things. I I don't know on the, on that piece. I do think in terms of social media that again as we were discussing before being aware of how we view things and what we are viewing is really important. So there are different biases that that we have when we look at things. So subject bias, for example, we tend to compare ourselves to people, like very specific people. So we don't tend to be uh, sort of equitable in, in, oh, well, I compare like this to this person and I compare like this to this person. It's, I, it's al- almost always a downward <laughs> comparison. Mm-hmm. And uh, in terms of the, the sort of assessment bias, where you are, when you're looking at other people, you don't tend to scrutinize them in quite the same way that you scrutinize yourself. So knowing those things when you're looking around social media that that that's going to impact you is, I think, really important. And I also think that curating your feed, looking at different accounts, like I said, I, I follow a lot of people who are talking about the, the ways in which the media gets around and, and fools people. Uh, so I think that seeing that is hugely normalizing. I think having different bodies on your feed too. And I, I was talking to you before we started recording about a documentary called Embrace by a woman named Tarn Brumfit. And in that documentary, I remember walking out of it actually and thinking, wow, there were so many different types of bodies that I just saw. And even that changes things. We Not of course that it's universally one body type that we see on television and movies, but it's a lot of the same body type. It's a lot more of the same body type than we see in everyday life. Definitely. So I, I hope, I do think that there are ways of, of changing things, but I think a lot of it has to be on a personal level because I don't know how much is going to change societally. Uh, and it's sort of beyond, I think what I'm, I don't know, familiar with as a, a therapist. Uh, I I'm all for social change. I just don't, I don't know what that looks like, frankly. And do you have any thoughts on that? I'd be interested to know.
0: I have none. I have no idea <laughs> <laughs> how we would stop this. It just seems like it's getting farther and farther away from us being able to rein it back in Yeah, and I, I just don't know how to fix it. And Shoot, it I thought sucks. we were going to save the world together, Danielle. <laughs> Me too. I was hoping we would come up with something great, but it just seems like as long as celebrities are not interested in being open and honest about their plastic surgery, and as long as people are consuming those Im- images and promoting the altered body types, people are going to want to have that have it as yeah. a partner or have it for themselves. Yeah. I think
1: it's interesting though, because people are are ashamed to admit if they've had procedures done. Mm-hmm. So it's both prolific and it's somehow taboo. I wonder what would happen if there was a little bit less taboo around doing it. Because mm. perhaps just opening up the conversation and saying like, yeah, I, I got this done, right. That there would be a little bit more openness to talk about it. And therefore a little less misconception around what a body actually looks like. And of course there are outliers in any realm. There are people who have very specific body types, but yeah. And I think one of the, the myths that really messes with us is that our bodies are like wet lumps of clay that we can just sculpt (laughs) completely to our liking. And that's just not how it works. No matter. I mean, you can diet and exercise all you want, and you may not attain a certain shape. In fact, you probably won't. And yeah, we all have this genetic blueprint that we're operating from. And Yeah. And as people get further and further away from what's actually being bequeathed to them genetically, we're getting less and less realistic about what we should look like, too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's unfortunate, but it's Mm -hmm. definitely the truth. So there's kind of been a lot of different trends for women's bodies over the decades. Mm-hmm. And you know whether it's being super thin or having more of a curvy shape, which is what it is right now, the common denominator is your waist needs to be thin. Mm-hmm. Um even for like plus size models right now, it seems like they generally still have an hourglass type mm. of shape. And I'm curious for men, when I think about it, I feel like there's more space for different kinds of men with like the dad bod and Rihanna had, <laughs> <laughs> had like a plus size model on her website. So I'm curious if if you know, or if you have any opinions on um, how does body dysmorphia impact men? We talked about hair loss, but I'm curious about like the body shapes and sizes.
1: Yeah. So there's something called muscle dysmorphia where the focus is really on being, I think there's actually, there are different Terminologies like I, I can't remember what they are offhand, but like mega morphia or something like, right? yeah. like that. The idea that you're not big enough, uh, which is certainly a way in, in which it impacts men. And then I, I think there's a misconception too, not that you're making, but generally that men don't have the same concerns as women about general appearance concerns with, with face. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, all of the, the features they're in, um, I, yeah, I, I think that it can pretty much hit on anything, but to your point, like I was saying earlier, the, the hair loss piece is big, um, musculature is big and that's whereas women, well, I think actually to your point, more and more women are being held to the same standard in terms of going to the gym and, uh, with the the focus being on on sort of curvier shapes. So it doesn't really matter, right? Like it, it it doesn't matter what the the standard is given the times that it's still going to be unattainable for the vast majority of people because we all have these different body shapes that we're predisposed to. Mm-hmm. So, now it's you know, Going to the gym again for women, going to the gym more often, and uh, and eating a certain amount of foods, and maybe getting plastic surgery. Whereas back in the, the '90s with heroin chic, it was don't eat anything. Right? Yeah. And Before that, I, it's interesting though. It always it always gets me just how fickle the the sort of idealized body is and how much we are at the whim of that. Because it still blows my mind that there was a point in time where really like big, voluptuous bodies were considered beautiful, like Botticelli. And and now of course that that's so antithetical. And and it seems I think because we're we're fish you know being raised in water that it's you don't realize that that the water is tainted right? like that it's a very specific type of water and that the water can be changed
0: um anyway yeah okay do you think that there's sufficient discussion about body image and eating disorders for men i never hear any men talk about it i don't i don't think so i i think yeah and
1: and certainly there is a lot out there around what men should look like and what men should, I think so much of it is about the, the sort of being big and masculine and probably part of a, a, another toxic discourse around masculinity that exists, but yeah, no, I don't think it's talked enough about, and I think it would be helpful if the, if that changed for sure.
0: You think that's an offshoot sort of of men not wanting to talk about mental health issues in general. I was
1: gonna actually. It's really interesting that you bring that up. I was reflecting on that um, because you had sent some questions over, and I think absolutely because men are less likely to seek treatment. It's not because they don't also have mental health issues. It's because there's a greater stigma around asking for help when it comes to mental challenges, even in this day and age, which is crazy to me, but that there's this expectation that men should be quote unquote strong and that they, they shouldn't have feelings and certainly shouldn't need help with any of those feelings. And yeah, it's, that's really unfortunate.
0: It is because I I think, you know, we're getting more progressive, but men are still kind of seen as the leaders of their households and if you're not together like you don't have your mind right you're not really fit to be leading the house <laughs> <laughs> that is so true <laughs>
1: <laughs> well and hopefully more and more households are becoming egalitarian as well as, right. as everyone's yeah. different in terms of culturally but that there's a, I think even the expectation that they should be at the the helm all the time and that that expectation a lot of be pressure. placed on them. Yeah. It's a lot of pressure. And it also on the other side, uh, diminishes the role that women can play as well. So I a
0: hundred percent agree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: So it's got, it's a, it's a double-edged sword, I suppose.
0: hmm So I'm curious about how do you, can you get over an eating disorder? Is there a cure? How do people overcome these issues?
1: So there are so many different approaches. I think some people will say that you can be cured. I don't, in my estimation, as long as you have a mind, you're going to have thoughts. And One way that I look at the experience of of an eating disorder is that it's, or even disordered eating, is that it's as a direct result of being brainwashed. And so, like with any experience of brainwashing or being indoctrinated with some sort of problematic idea or belief system, that it takes a really long time to change that. And I don't know that you ever necessarily completely relinquish all of your former viewpoints, at least to a degree, you can be of two minds. You can have, I think that that's a lot of what is focused on in terms of working with eating disorders so Carolyn Coston, who started a group called Montanito out in Southern California, talks about the sort of healthy self and the eating disorder self. And I think it's a health, helpful way to conceptualize the different thoughts that come into our minds and recognizing that they're both, they're while they're both coming from us, they're not necessarily both from us. And so to be able to call out like, oh, that's... That's my brainwashing talking right now is very important. But I don't think that the brainwashing or the the thoughts anyway that that occur as a result of that are ever going to go away. Uh, It's not. You still have the thoughts. it's, It's how much attention you give those thoughts and how much you allow those thoughts to impact and influence your behavior. So learning how to make choices that are based on your values, rather than on these unrealistic expectations that have been placed. And one of the things that is most upsetting about eating disorders is that they rob individuals of their lives, Uh, not even on a literal level. Of course, they are, you know, they're the, the most, I think anorexia is the, the most lethal of any mental health condition but they even living it takes away a person's life because all of their focus attention and energy goes to serving the the ideal body right? that's that's the focus that's the aim and they're either that like their whole well-being hinges on that, or at least a large part, a far larger part than than is deserved. And yeah, so a, a lot of it is around re-shift like shifting your focus to what actually matters to you and the kind of person that you want to be and the life that you want to live and create. So in, in CBTE, which is enhanced CBT for eating disorders, which is something that I draw on too, they talk about this pie, right? And that initially a large chunk of that pie is taken up by concerns about weight and shape and all of these other pieces of your life get relegated to smaller and smaller pieces of the pie and less diverse. And so one of the things that's important because you were asking about recovery is to, to cultivate those other areas and, and to place your focus on, on those other areas. And, and there are a lot of different components to treatment. I, I come from a background of intuitive eating. So I, I worked with, uh, Elise Resch and, and she's fantastic. I got to, um, Experienced some supervision under her for some time, and you know the focus on having a healthier relationship with food and making space for all sorts of foods instead of getting caught up in. And the diet industry is a billion, a multi-billion dollar industry, right? It's it's, and their entire profit depends upon people feeling badly about themselves. Yeah, and so to learn that, I don't know, placing all of your trust in eating a a certain way or that there is no right way to eat. And what's more important is that you learn how to listen to your hunger and fullness cues and to listen to what your body's asking for in any given moment. So... I feel like i'm I'm answering this in a, a very uh, sort of all over the place way, because uh, there are a lot of different approaches to be had. Right. but, um, yeah, I, I, is there anything you'd like to explore a spe- more specifically?
0: um well, I, I like I appreciate that you listed so many different ways because it's not going to be the same for everybody. Yeah. Um, I'm curious about is there a way to prevent eating disorders or body dysmorphia? I think there's
1: not a, like a foolproof way to prevent, right. but there are things that you can do. We were just talking about this idea of, of developing other aspects of your life and making sure that those are important. And so having those pieces is really important in terms of preventing the disorder itself or even relapse. And I, I think if you're a parent or you have a, a child in your life in some capacity to be mindful of the types of messages that you're putting out there about bodies and mm-hmm. about food, it's really, really important. So those are certainly two ways that I, I suppose you can influence yeah. an individual's predisposition
0: that's great i definitely feel like my issues with my body and with my eating um are somewhat a result of things that i heard about my body from my family growing up and when i was talking or asking questions about it on my social media other people said the same thing that their issues with their body came from their family uh which is very unfortunate but it is um,
1: and i was i was just going to follow up with that if that's okay yeah. that in addition i think we think of the messages that we're told about our bodies by our families of origin but it's not just that it's the way that our parents and our family members and our loved ones interact with their bodies too Mm-hmm. Even if you're told like your body's great, your body's wonderful. And then you watch your mother or father staring in the mirror and, and checking their bodies and, um, you know, speaking negatively about themselves or constantly on diets that it doesn't really matter what they're telling you about your body. You're getting a lot of other messages too in there. So I think one of the best ways I talk about the fact that with eating disorders, recovery in some ways is a political act right? It's a, it's a statement. It's saying, no, I'm not doing this to other people. I'm not, I'm not going to do this for my younger cousin who is in, you know, junior high and, and who needs a a better set of of messages around this or, uh, you know, anyone else in your life as just random example. Mm -hmm. And So the best thing that you can do, I think, one of the best things that you can do to help other people who you're worried about developing eating disorders is to have a healthy relationship with food and body yourself.
0: Yeah, I think that that's a great point and something I definitely want to have control over. I don't want to have kids anytime soon, but by then I definitely want to have a better relationship with food and with my own body because you're right. Kids, I mean, you don't have to spell it out for them. They can tell if you don't like your body and they definitely will mirror whatever you do um, and how you speak to yourself and your body. Yeah. So given the state of social media today, do you think that parents shouldn't let kids under a certain age be on social media? Gosh, it's a, it's a good question.
1: I think... Maybe, especially it's not just the messages that they're getting and the images that they're seeing, but also how cruel kids can be and they don't really need another outlet for it, <laughs> trying to create some sort of social hierarchy. I, I don't know, I, I think that social media it's tough. I think it's tough for adults, you know I, I don't I don't know I, I at least, and, and ultimately, it's a part of our lives now, like it or not. And so at some stage, parents are probably well advised to start introducing their children to it in a managed way and saying, hey this is what you can take out of social media and this is what you're going to see. And these are the the ways in which those images are manipulated. And you're looking at somebody's highlight reel instead of their whole life. So watch out for the comparison. Uh, So ultimately to, to teach younger people to be conscious consumers, like we were speaking about earlier, but it's tough to know exactly when that it should take place. I imagine, you know, 13, 14, there's a lot of social pressure to get on those platforms. So probably would start to happen around then, but in terms of, you know, brains aren't fully cooked until 25. So, you know, (laughs) there's a lot more cooking to do uh, in adolescence and it's, it's certainly a balancing act as far as I can see
0: hmm. I wish that I had not begged my mom to let me mm. be on Facebook when I was in eighth grade because yeah. everybody else had one. Um, and it wasn't as bad back then. People weren't altering their bodies through Photoshop or Facetune as heavily as they are now. But I, I do think kids just need to not be on social media. And whenever I have children, I want to keep them off of it for as long as possible. Yeah. Um, I've definitely seen young kids post stuff like they're adults, you know, in certain clothing or poses that you're like, oh, my God, you're 16, you're a kid. You don't have to try to be as sexy as Kim Kardashian because you're a child, (laughs) but you don't think you are when you're 16. It's true. And anybody can contact your kid online. It's it's really dangerous. Yeah, it is. It is dangerous. I'm just, I'm so,
1: we are so completely inundated with media, whether it's social media or, you know, more traditional media these days. And there's a lot of documentation about the impact of media on body image. And they actually, back in 1995, Uh, Fiji really didn't have much in the way of, of media and they started having it introduced. And what they, what they knew is before 1995, they really didn't have eating disorders or body image issues. And in fact, larger bodies were seen in a, in a really positive way. And by 1998, something around 11% of, of, I think adolescent women, I, I don't know, specifically offhand, but, uh, had, had experienced some sort of, uh, disordered, uh, relationship with food. So binging, so urging, fast, Yeah. Right. Three years, 11%. <sighs> That's staggering. So.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. So what advice or words of encouragement would you give to people who are battling body dysmorphia or eating disorders? Mm.
1: Like I said earlier, I am so taken by the loss of life that people experience around these disorders. And so one of the things that I I think it's important to explore and, and what I would encourage people who are struggling to explore is... What is it that you stand to gain by walking away from this thing? Like, what are the things that you want to achieve and do and explore in the course of your life? And how is this thing preventing that? Because if you want to live a full and big life, your being hyper-focused on your body is probably not going to lead to that. I don't know if that's necessarily advice for people with eating disorders though except just to to sort of reflect and and to consider that in terms of of your actions and whether or not you want to continue forward uh, in the the way that that you're acting. I don't know. It's uh, there's a lot of of advice to be given I suppose um, mm-hmm. and also I, I'll dovetail into I think recognizing that you can have all sorts of thoughts and that you don't have to take them all as seriously, and that that you can acknowledge, like, oh yeah, that's that voice again. I really think that that's incredibly important in the recovery process.
0: That's great advice. It's definitely a good viewpoint to have on it. Um, I'll you. try to keep that in mind. Hey, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, can you give us a book recommendation? Yeah. Um, Oh, well, I, I like
1: a fair amount of books around this, but I think if I could recommend one, it would be intuitive eating. Because like I said, most, most people have a pretty, well, not most people, uh, most people that I see, but that's a, a skewed <laughs> uh, sample. But I think being able to tune in to what your body is asking for, learning how to do that instead of trying to live up to all of these different uh, strategies that are being uh, taught to us, whether that's, you know, Oh, you should be keto or you should be paleo or I'm trying to think I, I, like I said, I don't listen to that stuff much these days, but um, all, all of the different ways that you should eat, even with clean eating and the, the sort of proliferation of orthorexia, which is this, this other sort of variant of eating disorder. It's not in the DSM just yet, where people are hyper focused on clean eating. Mm. But
0: I have heard of that. Have yeah. you? Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 So, all of that to say that, oh no, where was I? Brain. Where was I talking about exactly?
0: Mm. I should know, right? No,
1: <laughs> I should know. I was in the middle of saying it. Oh well. Um, we were talking about orthorexia in the context of oh uh, the book recommendation and and I, I think recognizing the, that all of these food rules that we're taught to follow, it's much more beneficial to listen inward. Uh, you know, with an understanding of nutrition, sure, to, to guide some choices, but that it's okay to eat the, the sort of, I like, I like to call them in line with intuitive eating, like play foods, right? We tend to call them junk food, but they're really just, you know, maybe they're not as nutrient dense, but they Mm -hmm. certainly have a place in our lives an important one at that. So if I could recommend one book, it would be intuitive eating.
0: Okay, great. Yeah. And last question, what is your dream for your life's work?
1: It's oh, such a good question. I, I think it, it seemed probably like a small dream, but I think that my hope is, is that it be on a larger scale I always loved that quote by Ralph Waldo Emerson that ends to know one life has breathed easier because you have lived. This is to have succeeded. Mm. That's my focus is to help people breathe easier. And so and I do think it is if one life has breathed easier, it's it, there. There's success in that, but yeah, you know, ultimately if I, if I could do more than one, that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> uh because it's, it's tough. It's tough living with, with eating disorders and body image issues and OCD and anxiety. And, and yeah, there are a lot of deep breaths that, that are are to be had out there and that I, I
0: wish for people. Yeah. Well, I think you're definitely doing that. Oh, um, thank you. I'm, yeah. And I'm so appreciative for you um, coming on to have this conversation. You gave some great insights and opinions and definitions and it was great. <laughs> well,
1: thank you. It was such a pleasure to be on and, and yeah, and to get to know you a little bit better too.
0: Yeah. Thanks. Okay. Well, everybody please go, oh, social media. Yeah. How oh, can right. people find you online? Oh, <laughs> <All laughs> <All>
1: that. that. <laughs> um, oh, and that's actually like, in, in terms of curating your feed, I, like I, cause I follow a lot of different, like I said, um, people who talk about Posing in certain ways and uh, and how that can lead to a body a lo- lead a body to look a certain way, even in, in, when it doesn't necessarily all of the time. That there are so many great social media accounts for all sorts of mental health challenges. So I am on there. Uh, I talk a lot about OCD and BDD and eating disorders and all that good stuff, anxiety. And my account is the at the obsessive mind. Uh, but there are lots of other great accounts, and and looking at hashtags and and the like is is really helpful in terms of finding voices that are talking about the things that you're struggling with, and and that can provide you with some ongoing, you know, hopefully gems to to help you through. Um, I don't know, if mine fall into that category, but you know <laughs> what I mean. Like just yeah. finding finding little tidbits that can help.
0: Definitely, if especially if you don't feel like. Your friends are dealing with the same issue or mm-hmm. if there's not a lot of support or conversation about that, where you yeah. live, we live near DC, people are not talking about bodies or body image, mm-hmm. they're mostly talking yeah. about politics. And so, <laughs> <laughs> If you feel it's like true. you want to find a group of people, social media can be helpful in that way.
1: Absolutely. Definitely. It's so healing to know that you're not alone and you're really not. <laughs> there are <laughs> so, so many people out there who are in the, at least a similar boat and, um, yeah, it can be really, really healing to see that.
0: Yeah, definitely. Okay. Well now everybody please go <laughs> follow Lauren, um, check out the book she recommended and thank you, Lauren. I'll talk to y'all next week. Bye. Okay.